From Mother Football Club, I'm Andy Ross, and this is The Longer Listen. Today I'm joined by Mother Football Club manager Stephen Robinson. Stephen, thank you very much for joining me today. No problem. Well, during this first episode, what we're going to look at is the psychology behind your job at Fir Park. And what I want to do is start with what many consider the most important thing, and that would be results. I've often heard you say that you don't get too carried away with results, whether that be wins or losses. So kind of four days removed from a hard afternoon at Easter Road. How do you feel now? Um, well, when I say I don't get too up or down about it, I don't show I get too up or down about it. Um, of course, when you lose football matches, it's it's horrible. When you're the manager and until you're the manager, I don't think you ever experience the whole weekend's ruined. You usually take it out on those very close to you. Um, I'm quite hard to live with if, if we lose games. But by the time you come back in again on Monday morning, Monday afternoon, by the time we, we get the players in, you, it's your job. to Everyone's looking at you. Everyone's looking at your reaction, your mood. Uh, and that creates the whole ambience around the football club and the feeling around the football club from everybody, from the players, the staff, you know, the support staff. So it's important that you come back in with a, a positive mindset. And I also think it's important that you put things into perspective. You know, the expectations grow the more successful you are the better results you get. Um, but you have to keep reminding people of the perspective, you know. We played very well on Saturday. Country, every, every football fan looks at results, as do I, of course, because I'm judged on them. But what you have to do is strip it right down over the weekend. I watched it back twice and I thought we played very well. Well, I'm going to watch it again because I wasn't convinced because I thought, why did we lose? And there were certain aspects, of course. We didn't stay with runners. We didn't do some basic, basic things of football. But the overall performance or play or patterns the tactical side that we worked on, that they would leave two up top and how we cope with it, um, was very, very good at times. It was really good. So, you know, you have to remember you can't win every single game and you don't come in and throw everything out and, you know, it's rubbish, everything's rubbish. You know, you know, fans have to deal with that. It's it's rubbish or it's brilliant. There's no in-between with fans and, and that's their right because they pay their money. With me, it's different. I have to look at the real positive aspects and, and worry about the things that I can I can control, which is making people stay with runners or taking them out of the team, one of the two, and and improving and keeping the positivity of the good things that happened, contrary to the result. And that's sort of how I, I deal with it over the weekend. I can always come back in with a plan. If we've lost, I'll say, you know, what three things can we improve on? And what three things are you going to do that the players relate to and go, yeah, that we can do that. If you ask for things that they can't do, then you know, obviously they they don't believe in what you're saying. But that's what we that's how we try to start the week. That's how I deal with with losing, I try and get the positive aspects out of it. Um, on but on to most people, it's probably killing me inside to be positive. But because um, I take it as personally as anybody and any of that rubbish where people say they didn't try. That's just the usual stuff that goes with results. They didn't try. They didn't run hard enough. We have stats and I can assure you our boys run like you wouldn't believe. They work like you wouldn't believe. Sometimes they play better than others. They, they're human. They have a level of quality that sometimes can get exposed against top teams and they make mistakes and you've got to remember none of them ever mean to nobody ever means to play bad and that's how we we try and deal with it and put a perspective on it as i said right at the start before i started rambling <laughs> that obviously presents a, an issue as well you talked about individual errors being costly some players will react better to criticism than others others might need an arm around them do you have to treat each case individually or are you able to present it to a team as a whole? As... I try and not get personal with it. I think the modern player, um, you talk about psychology, you know, football's changed massively. The The psychology of dealing with a young player now, um, any player, but especially young players, 
they cannot take criticism. They, you know, they, they can't take anything negative. They want instant success. And so you have to be very careful how you, you deal with that. You, ha you obviously have to deal with it because if people keep making the same mistakes again, you have to take them out of the team. But I, I try and do it as a collective after the game. I don't usually go for individuals unless, you know, it's a it's a real glaring error or, or something we've worked on that they haven't done. That's what frustrates me more of it's something we've done and worked on and they haven't carried out the instruction from a set play, etc. Then I, I, sometimes you do, but you try not to get personal with them. It then doesn't become a tit for tat, you know, in the dressing room in front of everybody, always remain in control. But over the weekend, I scrutinise it and I, and I think, okay, I'll show you when we get in Monday morning, we... We have team meetings, we have unit meetings, example, back four meetings, and we have individual meetings. So some of the younger players after the Hibs game, you know, I've, I've spoke to, I've shown them their errors, I've shown them why, but also always give them an answer. You know, if you just constantly criticise people without an answer, for me, it becomes pointless. And I've, I've had the experience of many managers just telling you, you know, it's rubbish, it's crap, not good enough. Why is it not good enough? You know, so I think the better managers and the, the, the more successful managers have answers. And if you go away and think logically without emotion, you, you usually come back up with better solutions. And obviously as well, on top of that, you've got guys that are, are perhaps finding their way in the game and an error can set them back quite a bit, can't it? So you've got to kind of know when to to put young guys in. I, I take an example of David Turnbull, who perhaps was held back despite the fact he'd come into that Partick Thistle game a couple of years ago and really impressed. You held off, is it, Football and ability and the mentality, they both have to be there to be able to play with men, I guess. I, I think with David, David's a, a very good example. You know, we we always fancied David as a player, you know, technically brilliant. But when David first came onto the scene, David didn't stay with runners. He he was more a number 10 who who was very, very good on the ball and very effective. And what you have to remember is when you're at Motherwell and at the stage I took over the team, we were second bottom of the league. So you can't afford any kind of luxury. So we had to coax that out of David. That, you know, we knew he had that in him. We just had to get him to do it at a first team level. And he trained consistently with us. You know, uh, and so did Jake Hasty. People forget that. He went to Alloa and played games, yeah. But he was with us every single day. And we pushed him and pushed him and pushed him into training at a first team mentality. You know, giving the ball away mattered. Not stemmer runners mattered. And it got to the stage where David became that good in training that I couldn't hold him back any longer. But I knew when I put him in, he wasn't coming back out. Um, and you see the amount of times, and I've done it myself, where young boys get in the team. They play poorly. You know, uh, one young boy a couple of years ago I put in, and a very, very good player gave him such a hard time. And, you know, it becomes a stage where, you know, it was it was me or him at that stage, and I had to take him off, and he, he didn't play again. You know, and I live with that and think, could I have done it differently to help him, you know, because you want them all to succeed. But I think we've learned as a as a group of staff, me as a manager, that they have to be really ready to put them in. Sometimes your hands forced, of course, at a club like Motherwell, and we we maybe do put them in a little bit before. But we've been we've been, I think, very good at the time when we've put people in. You know, I believe David was really ready by the time he became established in the team. Alan Campbell, you know, before I came in, I think he played one or two games, and I dipped Alan in and out to start with until at the stage where, you know, you're ready to go every game. You're, you know, you got that mentality, that drive. Um, the same with James Scott, you know, and the, the, the same with David, the same with Jake, the same with Chris Cabin, you know, and, and make them regular footballers. But the mentality, you have to watch their mentality develop, you know, as you say, a setback when they're not quite ready for that can, can really put them back. And a lot of times if we can control that, we try to. There's a lot of other things you need to control as well. One thing I think that's quite interesting is injured players, Trevor Carson, been a, a good example of someone that got a, 
a really unexpected, life-changing injury. He's going from being a regular, both for club and country, to being on the sidelines. He's not managed to, to force his way back in as yet. But a, a guy of such talent, it must be very difficult to manage and keep his spirits up through, as I say, a, a life-changing ordeal. But I mean, in, in, as a manager, the hardest bit is keeping the boys out of the team, that keeping them happy. Um, I remember Michael O'Neill saying during the Euros, the people that aren't playing are the ones that we need to keep on board. We need to give a lot of love to. Um, and you use Trevor as an example. Trevor is, you know, such unfortunate circumstances that nobody is to blame. You know, nobody could control. And, you know, first and foremost, all we wanted to do was make sure Trevor was back to full health, which he is. Um, you know, nobody foreseen that coming. And Mark Gillespie, certainly, he wasn't happy to be a number two. So we managed that situation. Um, Mark got his chance. And, you know, statistically, Mark is has been and is in the top two goalkeepers in the league. You know, so nothing Trevor really could do in the background was replacing Mark at that stage because he was excellent. You know, so that frustration um, that Trevor has and had and it's really difficult. You know, I've been there and I understand, you know, they come in every day. Trevor's very, very talented. You know, he's a number one goalkeeper. But due to circumstance, you know, due to his illness and and then the form of somebody else keeping him out, it's very, very difficult to manage. You know, when the uh, amount of times me and Trevor have been in the office together and, you know, it does get heated sometimes. But, you know, I, I love him to bits. He's a top goalkeeper and I want the best for him. Sometimes players don't see that. They they just think ever the world's against them and nobody likes them and, and you have to try and reassure them. And sometimes they believe you, sometimes they don't, you know, and, and everybody can play. But to be successful, you have to have a good squad. And we have got two number one goalkeepers. Very, very talented goalkeepers. And as frustrating as it is, you just don't know what's around the corner. You don't know when it's going to change. And, you know, when you've got boys of Trevor's level, who's an international goalkeeper, um, it's it's very, very hard to keep them happy. And, and sometimes nothing you'll say will appease people, you know, and they want to play football. And I, I don't ever begrudge anybody that, you know, uh, they want to be first team footballers. But I reiterate our boys all the time. If you're at a football club that's in the top six at any national league, you know, the SPL, in the championship, in the premiership, if you're one of two players fighting for a place, you're doing okay. Um, now, getting them to believe that and and focus on that is hard. But we, we have got a good group of boys. You know, they, they don't cause me problems. Yeah, they're frustrated at times. They they have their little days off where they're, they're humping about and, and moaning. But the reality is I, I feel anybody would say, as a manager and as a coach and stuff, we treat them all the same. And it was something I set out very, very early in my management career to do because I had a spell where I wasn't in the team and, and I, I watched people get treated differently. And then when the manager needs them, they're not available. You know, when their minds are not available, they don't want to play for them. I would like to think the vast majority when they go away and think about it, because they always hate you. If you're not on the team, they hate you. You know, you're the worst person in the world. Their wives hate you, their moms hate you, their girlfriends hate you, their boyfriends hate you, whatever it may be. They don't like you. Um... Um, but when they go away and actually go, do you know what? All he done was not pick me. He didn't treat me badly. He, you know, he didn't. I didn't make them come in on days when anybody else was in. I didn't make them train at five o'clock. I didn't make them train on their own. We keep a really tight knit group. They only play in the reserves when needed because we've got a set criteria when they play. Um, and I think the vast majority of people that go away from here would think that. And and that's why I believe we've we've kept a really good atmosphere and we've been able to manage. You know, remember, I've I've been at the Euros and I've had to manage Kyle Lafferty and Johnny Evans and people, especially people like Kyle who weren't playing. You know, Connor Washington weren't playing. They're the hard ones to manage because they're they're away for six weeks for their family. So, um, you get more and more experienced, and I've learned from from very experienced managers. And you'll know as well that that could potentially have a a very adverse effect on the dressing room, having 
disgruntled characters and guys that are just generally unhappy to be there. You have two two things in football. You have people who bring energy to the group and you have people that drain the group. And I learned very quickly in management, you have to get rid of the drainers. You can't have choir boys. You can't have everybody who's perfect. But And we've got some characters in the dressing room as well, but everyone has to be pulling in the same direction. Once you you get two or three that get together and I, I'm very aware of that. I try and make everybody travel together. We eat together. We we don't have our groups. Of course, there's people who are friendlier with others in every walk of life, but we, we try and make sure that people talk. We, we ban phones in, in certain areas so that they do speak to each other. And sometimes they might find out they're actually quite interesting outside of football as well. Probably not, but on, on occasions you do find that out. Now, I believe over the, the period I've been here as assistant and, and manager that we've created that and we've got a good group of boys, you know, genuinely good people who you know you want to see do well. Keeping on the, the track of distractions, players invariably will be, if they're performing well, attract attention from elsewhere. It's well known that Motherwell are a selling club. We try to bring on young talent and sell them on elsewhere. That's just generally what's happened over the years. Last season, David Turnbull attracted a great deal of attention. Jake Hasty was another and the speculation kind of sometimes interrupted his game time. It seemed like his head was maybe turning. How do you try and get him on that path and get his focus on to playing for the football club at that time? Very, very difficult. Very difficult. You know, young boys are obsessed with the internet. They read. I tell them all the time, do not read social media. But they do. You know, whatever way we, we dress it up, they do. They believe what people say. So when it's good, it's really good. But the same people when it's bad are the same characters and names that are slagging you off and saying you're the worst in the world um and you know jake was a very hard one i, I get on fantastically well with jake he's a brilliant young man um and it was really difficult because we we had a player who i thought was a match winner for us and it was very difficult to play him after that situation because i knew that you know he was going to get a little bit of stick and i sort of try and protect him a little bit like my own kids at times because they're human they're they're, they're kids they're you know and to be getting stick and to be getting abuse I, I thought you know I'm going to have to try and take that and protect it and we were 2-1 down I think we were 2-1 down at St Johnson and I put him on they got a little bit of stick and you know everyone's got their feelings and sometimes uneducated feelings on it because they don't really maybe know what happened in the background and Jake was a great boy who was given 100% for us every single time and you know it was, it was just unfortunate I couldn't play him in more games towards the end of the season because you know, he was he, he was a, a terrific player for us. And, and I'll tell you, you know, I'd have him back tomorrow. And I would I would love to have him back because he scored a lot of goals and he was he was a really effective player. The way I look at it is I try and win football matches. I don't have favourites. I treat them all the same. And I try and pick the best eleven that I believe can win Motherwell a football match. And you know, you take any kind of politics out of it, whether you like them, whether somebody's you you know, you, you maybe have more of a conversation with them. And that's how I try and deal with it. I try and treat them, treat them all as individual human beings and I think as fans and sometimes I've got boys that age so maybe I relate to it a little bit more and, and one of them's in football and professional football and I see his disappointment I, I see when he says oh the manager spoke to me today how much it means to them so I try and not walk past young boys in the quarter I try and know all their names and, and all the staff as well and I think um, I'm quite lucky that I have boys that age and know how they react to things so yeah difficult to manage but we did and you know ultimately Jake got a move we got good money for Jake um, and he's he's at a very good club and you know at the minute he's he's on loan still making his way in the game You mentioned the social media thing I think that's a, a very interesting one you personally had Twitter and I see you've kind of moved away from that over over the years there's been individual instances I think of James Scott after the Celtic game last season 
got a horrendous time, really, really personal stuff. David Turnbull, after the, the Celtic move collapsed in the summer, that can't not end up at your door or on your desk. And you've got to try and pick the young guy up and, and get his head straight. It's it's horrible. Um, I hate it, but it is a tool that is used in society now and we're not going to get rid of it. Um, but people now think they can put things in writing. Um, and I would say quite a lot of it's very uneducated um, ramblings that they put on there. And the problem is when it's put in writing, it's believed. People believe it. And anybody that's sitting on a fence about an opinion, when it's seen in writing and they go, well, maybe that's right. And it grows arms and legs. And I find what, you know, the people that write the, the good things you're doing really well, is, you know, a vast majority of them are writing the bad things as well. So I try and say to the boys, don't let them into your head. You know, don't give people a platform in your life to read this kind of stuff. You know, don't let them affect you. And that's why I say to them, it will affect you. You're human. You know, and I don't care what anybody says. I, you know, I came away from social media a long time ago. I mean, there may have been an account somewhere, but I can assure you it wasn't active. Um, as soon as I came into management, my, my two boys had death threats on Boxing Day when I was manager um, older man. And it turned out to be an absolute load of rubbish from a young man who, who made a mistake, you know. And again, I've got young kids, so I forgive and forget very quickly. But, um, you know, it, it did affect my younger boy. You know, he was quite frightened at the time and you know my family were quite scared at the time you think is football worth it and it does put doubts into your mind so you know from that point of view I came away from it completely because I vowed never to let people like that have an influence on my life or my family's life um, and with players I try and say to them stay away from it but they they don't and they're not going to and uh, you know I don't know how we change that people you know have a right for opinions but if you read it if you don't read it it doesn't affect you so I try now when people are saying I'm a really good manager and I'm this and I'm that and I'm going to this club and that club and the next job that comes up in Tesco's I'm six to four favourite for if you don't read that you don't believe it and the same way when the bad stuff comes and there was plenty of it at times I don't let it influence my mind because I, I genuinely believe it influences decision making and if you're a player it will influence your decision making, good or bad. You think you're better than what you are. You stop doing the things that made you very good. You stop working as hard and doing the basics that made you a good player. Or if it's negative, it plays on your mind. You know, young boys and their mind is as active. They read into things. You know, they get depressed with it, and you then can't express yourself the same way because you don't want to make a mistake and and be open to that criticism. So, the best answer to it is don't read it. Don't read it at all, and um, don't allow people who usually have an uneducated view and think if they put it in writing, they can have an effect. Don't let them influence your life. Hey, how does the offer of free beer sound to you? Yes, free beer. Thanks to our friends at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight free exclusive craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash MFC, pay the postage, and what's more, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's a total of 10 free beers. Beer52.com forward slash MFC. I'm going to move on to recruitment and the link to team spirit as well in the dressing room. The, what you look for in a player and your approach to recruitment is quite well documented. Yourself and Martin Foyle don't seem to, to leave any stone unturned when it comes to, to looking for a player. But it's also mentioned as well that you do your, your homework on the, the personalities you're bringing to the football club. I guess that ties in quite nicely with not having those drainers in your squad guys that can bring down the spirit because you are on a yearly basis turning over the majority of your squad so there's always a real risk that you could end up with back to three or four guys that really bring down the, the camaraderie and the vibe of the whole place 
there's always a risk of that. There's a, you know, if you spend 20 million pounds on a player, there's a huge risk, you know. Um, obviously, there's, there's probably less of a risk if you're spending that kind of money. But, you know, in the market that we shop in, um, League Two clubs pay more money than us. You know, half the conference pays more money than us. Um, I would say probably 70% of the SPL play, plays more money than us. So we have to really dig deep with things and I've just absolutely slaughtered social media. But our head of recruitment and our analysts, you know, they do dig deep and you'll be surprised what people give away on it um, in terms of injuries, their personality. You know, if you see a, a kid that's out all the time and every Saturday night he's partying um, and he's drinking or he's, you know, whatever whatever it may be, we, we do delve deep into it. And I'm, I'm lucky I played a lot of my career in England where we get quite a few players from and I can pick up the phone to people and, you know, it will never be we'll sign somebody on a whim. Martin will have watched them at least two or three times before he actually tells me. I will try on every occasion to at least see them once live. Why Scout and modern technology allows us to look at their football ability, you know, on a regular basis and, and scrutinize it. Unbelievable scrutinization. And then, the, you know, the, I have pre-requests me as a manager what I want. Pace is, pace is my first and foremost in recruitment because I think you can teach people positioning. You can make them better at positioning. You can, you know, you can make them have a better understanding of the game and the way we work and the way we work now. We've got pre-programmed movements. You know, people know where they should be, where they shouldn't be. They don't always do it, but they know where they, they're trying to be. But you can't make anybody quicker. And I think pace scores the life out of people. So the first pre-request is that. Um, and then it's a mentality. You know, they can have all the ability in the world, but if their mentality is they're not willing to work, then, and that's the hardest bit to find out because I've signed players and, and of course we've made mistakes with the, the level we're working at. Of course we have. Um, but I would never not sign any of the players that I've signed. Some of them haven't worked and some of them have been mistakes in hindsight, but based on have they, have you got pace or have they got a certain quality? I think, yeah, that's going to be good for Motherwell Football Club. That's going to fit into what we do. What you can't give is drive a mentality. And it's hard to figure that out. You can speak to people and they can say, yes, he's got that, he's got this. And and usually we've got it more right than we've got wrong in terms of that. But, I, you know, there's a, a couple that I've signed and I look and think, would I sign them again? Of course, you know, a tremendous ability, played at incredible levels, um, played international football. But if they don't have the drive and desire to be a footballer, because I judge them when they come in, I judge them like my 18-year-olds. So if they're not, if they're no better than the 18 year olds that are coming through, I'll play the 18 year olds. And sometimes that makes my younger players better. You know, if we use David as an example, I, I signed Biggie and, and I loved Biggie. He was a great boy, a good player, but it pushed David Turnbull to a different level. So sometimes people think signings don't work, but actually they work for other players to become better as well. Um, so recruitment's the hardest bit of the game and, and the most important by a mile. So it would be brilliant to have some money to recruit at a higher level and a more consistent level. But um, I think we do very well. And, you know, we have to give credit to everybody involved in it. You know, as I say, Martin spends, spends days and hours. We travel around the country to games. Our, scouting, our scouts do the same. Our analyst, Ross Clarkson, spends hours scarring Europe, scarring the lower leagues. And then by the time it comes to me, then, you know, we, we really break it down. You know, and he maybe give me, uh, the criteria I set, he maybe give me four players. And I'll make the final decision on, yeah, I want that one or I want that one. So ultimately, I get the blame. So... It's something that I'm very big on that. If I sign somebody, it's my mistake or my success. And, you know, if if we don't win football matches, I'm the only one that's getting the blame. So I am I'm adamant when I go to football clubs, uh, I say, do you do the recruitment? And that's not always the case. I'm in a very privileged position here that I have the final say on who comes to this football club. And an observation of the guys that you bring in is, 
quite a lot of them seem to have lost their way somewhat in the game, perhaps at a crossroads of their career. They've been at previous clubs and it's just not worked out for whatever reason. What makes you think you're the guy to, to steer them in the right path and get them back on track? I think you're 100% right. I think we do sign players that have lost their way, so they've got a raw ability. I'll use Chris Long maybe as an example. You know, Longy, when he was a young boy, people thought, oh, he's going to be the next best thing. Just maybe lost his way. Sometimes they make bad moves. Sometimes they get an injury. Um, and that's something else we scrutinise, but sometimes you take a gamble with that. Um, but have they got that raw ability and have they got a drive? To, and I find them boys, a lot of them that we pick up, you know, they've got that drive to succeed. And and that's what we've, our recruitment's been very much based on that. They've got a raw talent, which should it be they're a very good finisher or they're really aggressive in the air or they're technically brilliant. You can see passes. They've got that raw ingredient. And can you bring that out? Can you give them a bit of love? And you say, what do I believe I have to bring it out? I actually believe the environment and the staff we've got here, not, not solely me, um, allows them to bring it out. We've got incredible coaches, you know, in, in Keith Lasley, Morris Ross, Greg Inscliffe, um, we, we've got a fantastic strength and conditioning uh, with, with Andy Bowles and our medical department. Are, we're small, but I believe we're very, very good. And I think the environment that's created, we have a real coaching environment. We we encourage people to express themselves. You know, we're, we're a football club that go, you know, and sometimes as a manager, I'm like, flip, you know, we're, we're going to win 3-2 or we're going to lose 5-3. You know, we, we are open at times, but we do try and get boys to express themselves, you know, and, you know, even in Saturday's game against Hibs, with so much of the ball, we had a lot of, you know, players were beaten, players put, with six minutes of crosses that went into the box, six minutes on the footage. And, and that's an incredible start away at a team of Hibs's calibre and at a place like, you know, Easter Road. And I, th I think that is what we're looking for. We're looking for boys to go and express yourself, go and have confidence in yourself. If you make a mistake, we're, we're not going to absolutely punish you because we can't instantly replace you. We don't have the numbers. You know, we don't have the, the man part to do that. So, you know, and I think... A lot of times we've we've done that where younger players they know that they're not going to get ridiculed or that's the end of their career when they make a mistake. And it's been an environment that we've created where hard work, hard work is the key to it. And I mentioned the the sports scientists, and I've probably missed one of my staff have it probably, but they're they're all people that work above and beyond what they should do. You know, they they do hours that you wouldn't believe. They you know they travel places for me to watch players. Um, maybe to pick players up. We don't have people that go and pick players up. You know, we, we're grabbing, you know, the chief executive is driving to take somebody to a dentist. You know, that's how we work at the football club. Everybody does that. And and I think it's it's paid off. There'd be times where, you know, we have we have bad spells because we have got young boys who have lost their way. And I think a reality needs as well is we do pick up boys that aren't playing football. You know, they're usually not getting a game in League Two, never mind League One. Um the only boys that we sign that are playing regular football are conference players. Um, and, that, and that's just a fact, you know, nobody's really crying out to say, I want to come to Mullerwell, I want to play at Mullerwell. We're going to change your life with money. We're not, we can't. But what we have done, and I think it's been proven, is we've, we've given people chances to resurrect their career. And if they can resurrect their career to an extent that helps us, it's a brilliant, brilliant football club to play for. Brilliant people that look after you. You know, a, a board that supports realistic and a group of staff, and I'm talking support staff now, the people around the ground, the media people, the chief exec, the, the people who do the cleaning, the people in the, the offices and the chefs. Really good environment to play football in and work with. And that's not always the case. So for me, it's a it's a fantastic platform for boys. And that's how we've been able to sell the football. After you've, you've sold the football club and, and guys have arrived, whether that be the summer or the winter transfer window, you seem to stick with the same kind of tried and tested routine. I know it was Dublin 
this summer after a couple of years in Belfast, but the surroundings were described as is very similar. It's generally Tenerife in January. Is that a, a process that you feel is tried and tested and works for integrating guys into the squad? Yeah, I think um, we actually went to Dublin the first two years and then we went to Belfast this year. That was finances. Um, my ex-wife actually got me an unbelievable deal at the hotel, so that's why we went there. And it was fantastic. The Denadria Hotel in in um, Northern Ireland, it, I have to recommend it or I'll get killed. But um, it, it was an environment that nobody disturbs us. We're there, we're on our own. The pitches are top quality. So you're there to focus on training. You're there to put the, the basics of the season in place in the pre-season trips and and really nail down what your your style of play is gonna be, what your you know, your principles of play are gonna be. And that doesn't change. People get very mixed up with if you play three five two, if you play four three three, if you play four four two, your your principles don't really change. You know, we still want to play out from the back. We still want to get it wide the 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 players, you know, whether that's two up front or running down channels or, or two out and out wingers. Um, our principles don't change. Our midfield rotations, you know, we want, you know, our number eights empty in play and getting beyond people. So that doesn't change in whatever system we play, but that's your chance to nail it down and integrate the new boys. You know, we, we have a massive turnaround of players, which is unfortunate. I'd love to be able to combine the best of last year from Christmas with the best of this year. And I think would be a really good side, but you know, so we have a lot of turnaround, and it's a chance to get to know people. You're in an enclosed environment; they room together, they they have quizzes together. You know, there's there's no nights out. It's it's work. You know, it is it is genuinely work. And the Tenerife one in the last few years, the board have supported massively. Um, and I think our runs after Christmas have supported the the fact that we do it again because I think we won five out of six, and was it six out of seven? Maybe the next time. Um, so I think it galvanizes everybody because we had a tough spell it brings everybody together again it brings the staff together again and it just it's a nice environment it's warm you can coach you know UK players for me in general are not as tactically aware as foreign kids and I think there's a, a real reason to that is numbers sometimes because the country is bigger you've got more people to pick from but the environment to train in when you train in the sunshine you train in an environment where it's not beating down in your face and the wind's blowing at DL Park people listen they're wanting to stay out and do extras. They want to take more on board. So I think the two environments we we take the boys to allow us to, to embed our ideas and they're listening, they're taking on board, they're enthusiastic. And I think we've reaped the benefits of both trips. It maybe sounds a bit too simplistic, but the first day in a job is always a, a kind of nerve-wracking experience anyway. Does taking the guys out of Fur Park and, and putting them in with the group that's already established, that must take a bit of the pressure off them as well as individuals. They've They've got to kind of sink or swim, but they'll they'll get to know the guys a lot quicker, and that'll pay off. And it did pay off in January of last season. Well, there's no choice because we we can't afford um, double rooms or individual rooms. We go and we we stay in in rooms of five, believe it or not. Now I'm I'm painting up our pitch. The, the hotel is okay. outstanding. It's no, but there's five there room. They're 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 nice. They're sweet. So I'm making out they're not, but they've no choice because they're in such an enclosed environment, and we do try and split people up. Um, and they all try and wiggle back in again. Trevor will try and get in with Peter and they think, I don't know. And the older boys will try and get together and the younger boys are trying to get together. But we try and keep them apart, you know, and so they're mixing with different people and finding out that I always find if, if you find out a little bit about somebody personally and you, you can relate a little bit more to them then when they're they're having a harder time, they make a bad pass, they're getting criticism from the crowd. Then you see people being supportive and, and I've always found to create team spirit, you know, I, I think I've... I've watched good managers do it. Um, Michael O'Neill being the you know the the best one at it that I've seen in terms of creating a spur, a club spur at an international level. 
and in integrating boys who were playing the Premier League for boys who were in League Two from the SPL to League One, you know, and there was such a variant in talent and levels that they were playing at and integrating everybody together. And, you know, I've, I've taken a lot of stuff from that. And I think when you've got a harmony in a group, they'll fight for each other a lot more. And your ability to be a, a reactionary manager has been very significant across here. Your time at Motherwell, just think of, of last season where it was very difficult in the first half of the season. The second half, there was obviously the cup game against Ross County, but after that, the team didn't look back. Almost finished in the top six of the, the table, but playing a, a style of football that's carried on into this season as well. At what point do you realise that, that things have to change and it's time for you to react? I think what you have to remember, first of all, is I came into the club, we were second bottom. So you have to play a certain style to stay up. And we've done that. And we stayed up with the personnel that we had. And then you've got to try. You, you, so what I, I, I got a lot of players out of the football club that I thought had either gone past their best or weren't beneficial to what I was trying to do. So when you sign the amount of players we signed on the money that we can pay them, you, you're not going to get what you wanted. I always wanted to play 4-3-3. It's my favourite system, contrary to what people think. Um, but we didn't have the personnel. I couldn't recruit the personnel to play that way. So what you do is we were able to recruit Andy Rose, a, a big, tall, athletic boy who, who had a lot more technical talent than people give him credit for. You know, we, we had strikers in Rand Bowman who was ready here where we had Louis Malt, boys that wanted balls delivered into the box, balls that wanted balls down the side of them. We we brought Cedric Kipper in. We had Charles Dunn, so great pace for to play a three and, and Peter Hartley in the centre of that. I think it was actually it was Ben Hennigan at the time and, and we had to sell Ben right at the last minute. But we had three really good centre-halves and two forward players who were a threat. And in Chris Cadden, and, and Richard Tate, we had boys that were so energetic up and down. So it it was sort of forced my hand a little bit because that's what was available to us and that's what we could recruit. So we were very good at that and we got the two cup finals, which proved it. We were exciting to watch. I didn't hear anybody complain about that. We were in your faces. We did play more than people give you credit for. And, and I'm actually at fault for that because I played up to it. When the press asked me, I said, yeah, we were big. We were strong. We are physical. Things like the, the Bowie incident and, you know, possibly... Peter encouraging it as well at times in, in one of the press conferences. That grows arms and legs. And people then believe no matter what you do, you're a long ball side, you're physical, you're aggressive. And, you know, you learn from that. And on the opposite of it, if you say you play football often enough, people believe it. And that's that's what happened. Now, when we come into the second season, we tried to change it. Uh, and we did sign certain players that we thought we could change it. I knew we had to evolve. I always thought... We can't keep winning games playing like this. We've been successful and we, we needed to evolve. That we then, which people chose to neglect or chose not to mention was, we had actually 13 injuries from, I think it was around about September to December. 13 first team injuries for Motherwell. You know, that's a crisis. And I remember sitting in the stand and I was suspended for five games, um, deservedly so, I may add. And sitting with Stevie Craig and going, I have to change this in January. I need to get the January to change this. But we didn't have the personnel. We we had three boys injured with concussion. We had a detached retina. We had boys with a tendon that snapped off, a hole in somebody's knee. Crazy injuries. And nobody mentioned that. Nobody thought about that at all. So suddenly I'd gone from being a decent manager to get the two cup finals to being rubbish. And the players had gone from being good to being rubbish without people really looking at the facts. And um, I think when you get tarred with the style of play that we had, some by our own creation and, and some justified, then your fans will turn quicker. And and I know that. And I had to find a way. 
we targeted Bolia Rebe really, really early. You know, we wanted that. Jake Hasty was a boy we had out in loan at Aloha at the time, and we always thought, because he was training with us on a regular basis, there's my two wingers. You know, there's my two wingers straight away. Um, and, and we brought players into that environment that we thought, right, I can get my 4-3-3 now. And we played it against Ross County, and it didn't work. Um, but after that, and it gave us another week to work on it, or two weeks in Tenerife was like a mini preseason. That was always the way I intended to go. But for all the pundits that sit in the stand and and on their radio shows and in their in their studios, until you've actually sat in the chair, I know what's available. It's sometimes very very difficult to play a style you want to. And I think what I done was earn the right to have a bit of leeway. You get the two cup finals from Motherwell, which was unheard of, and then you get a little bit of leeway. And I got that leeway because. I knew what needed to done to stay, had to do to stay up. I knew what we needed to do with the personnel I could recruit to be successful in terms of the two cup finals. And I also knew to stay on the job and longevity, you had to recreate yourself and you had to recreate a team that I actually wanted to get in the pitch. So when that became available with Arabi and with Jake Hasty, then we knew what way we were going to play. You know, and, and even in our recruitment going forward, we were already trying to recruit Sherwin Cedar, Jermaine Hilton, you know, James Scott. I believe he will be a very, very good centre forward, but he prefers being out wide at times because there's not as much contact and he's he's a little bit looser with things. You know, so we knew we had these players coming through and David Turnbull starting to, you know, really progress. And, you know, you can't you have to remember you cannot play through midfield if you haven't got the players that their, you know, their A game is receiving the ball and playing. If you've got boys that are runners, you play to their strengths. You know, if you've got boys that are technically brilliant, like Dave, lightly in Polworth, we Allen's game has improved so much. You know, technically now I'm like brilliant. You know, he's but he's worked on that. That wasn't always Allen's, you know, A game, but it is now, and he's excellent at that. Liam Donnelly, technically very, very good. So we've got a midfield that, and that's not being disrespectful to the boys that played because what they done was very good. You know, they were very good at what they done. Andy Rose, Cormac, very good at what they they done, and and were technically better than people give them credit for. But you know, it wasn't their A game. Now they were runners, and they were, Paul Carr was aggressive in front of the back four, and we played to their strengths. Good managers play to people's strengths because you don't stand a job often if you don't. We mentioned reactionary, and I credited you for being very reactionary. But how satisfying is it when the players take what you're your philosophy is on board and it breeds results, that must be hugely rewarding for you personally. It is when you see things come off. I think um, <laughs> they don't mean to make mistakes. You have to remember that, you know, and as a coach, I look at the Hibs game and I watched it, I watched it twice back. So that's three times, including the 90 minutes. And I thought everything we worked on, you know, tactically was very, very good. You know, how we thought we could expose them. And sometimes, you know, I remember a manager saying to me, they don't mean to make mistakes, you know. So sometimes you, you can't win every game and that's where I get a bit of perspective from. But yeah, it's, of course, when we've worked on it and, and what we wanted to get to, it gives me a lot of pleasure now to see his play. I think I enjoy watching us play now. You know, obviously you enjoy more when you win. But I always think we've had a right go at that. We, we've had a right go at that. The Hearts game was the only game, the Cup game with... Oh, you know, we, we didn't play, we didn't perform. But if you're coming to watch and you've got a realistic view as a Motherwell fan, and you know, we're not going to win every single game. We we are up against it at times. We punch massively above our weight. But I think we're enjoyable to watch. You can see we're coached, we're well drilled, we're trying to do certain things. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I think that's the, ref the refreshing element of it that just now, obviously on Saturday, you're now really looking forward to the next game because... Saturday, while the result was disappointing, plenty of intent, a few things go your way, you get the penalty at the start of the second half, it's a completely different game. You mentioned the fans and they react horrendously if we lose, they're top of the world if we win. How do you feel 
your relationship is with the supporters and how important is a relationship with the supporters given Motherwell are a fan-owned football club? It's, it's massive, absolutely massive. Um, and it's nice, I think the vast majority of our fans are very realistic. You know, they know what our finances are, they know the parameters. You know, I think if some of them sat in my seat and you thought, I've got rid of 13 players this year um, and we have to go and buy a, a, a medical bed from... Uh, I won't even tell you where we bought it from, but um, you know, you're on eBay trying to trying to buy a medical bed. You know, that is some of the parameters we work under. Nothing, you know, and that's not me complaining because I know what it is and I've bought into it massively. You know, but I think a vast majority of our fans are very realistic. They appreciate the coaching staff we have. They appreciate the players, and they getting is nothing better than seeing them get behind you and you know get buying into the players. And that relationship, I think, as a football club, I look at some football clubs and they go, "There's no relationship between the fans and players. There's no connection. There's a connection here." I, I genuinely believe the fans see what we're trying to do. And as a fan, and you know, coming from a working class background in Belfast, I think if you can see that players are giving you absolutely everything, which they do every week for me. I think they forgive you a lot quicker. And I think that's what the, the vast majority of our fans. Of course, there's an element in every football club that, you know, the moaners and the, the ones that have no realism and, and say ridiculous things, they are, seem to always be louder. And that's the problem. So there's one thing I'd say is the, you know, the, the vast, vast majority of our fans, you know, they're the ones that really we want behind us and really supporting the team because see when they are they're, they're an extra man we are a young squad they worry what the fans think they worry about what they write in social media they worry about if they get booed and you know that doesn't that hasn't happened many times since I've been here you know and, and fans have got the right they pay, they pay the money you know they, they pay a lot of money if you go to a game and and you know I've got two kids you take your two kids you buy your programs you travel up to Dundee or wherever it may be it's a heck of a lot of money so we certainly appreciate that you know and genuinely uh I really, really do, and there's, a, I believe, there's a connection between the players and the fans. I believe I've, I've got the respect of the fans, and I, it certainly goes back the way from me towards them. Um, I'm not one for mad celebrations. Every now and again, I do. I get a wee bit carried away on the touchline, but I can't because I get banned every time I do that. But you know, I'm not one to go and be every game and clapping fans, and, and not, you know, because I'm, I'm actually at a region or I'm buzzing from winning, and I want to go and sort it out as quick as I can. But believe me, I. I appreciate their support and you know even inside I think it was nearly a thousand people there travelled across on a rubbish day and you know, long may that continue and I think that will I think when they see what we're trying to do and we're, what we're trying to build I think if you look at the position this coaching staff and, and believe me this just isn't me the coaching staff and the board when we took over three years ago now you know as I say we were second bottom we were massively in debt owing people you know we've we've cleared the debts we've got the two cup finals the, the club has got a team to be proud of, a team that is quite exciting, and assets. I think we've created assets, and you know I think people see that, and I'm sure we'll have their support. And they're realistic with when there is a, a little downturn that they'll, they'll still support you. Don't suddenly become a bad player or a bad manager, and I, I think that's the biggest thing I've found. The vast majority of, of fans have continually supported me throughout. Whether it be Netflix documentaries or Amazon documentaries, I think we, we see behind the scenes a lot more at, at football clubs now, and Perhaps people kind of think it's they're a bit of an expert when it comes to that. But how do you get away from football? You've mentioned your two kids, Harry's at Crusaders on loan from from Oldham just now. How do you kind of wind down from football? It seems very much all consuming at times. It's difficult. Um, I remember thinking when Mark was in the job, I thought I can do this. This is this is easy. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you think you're doing a lot, 
And I remember Mark McGee saying to me, till you sit in this chair, you have not got a clue. And it's true because it takes over your life. When when we lose in the Saturday, the coaching staff, of course, are, we're, we're devastated. But as a as an assistant manager and a coach, you can get on with your life. Um, as a manager, it's all consuming. You know, it, it does take over your your every thought. You take it out and people that are very close to you. You don't want to speak to people. You want to go into hibernation. You cannot think of anything but how do I correct that? And if you win, you enjoy it for 20 minutes in your office afterwards. And the next thing is, who's fit for next week? What formation are we playing? What's the opposition? Roscoe, the analyst, I'm on the phone on a Saturday night straight away. So it is, it's all consuming. But I, I, listen, I have ways, you know, um, I go cycling a lot. You know, I, I do, I like my cycling. I put my phone in my pocket only for maps because I get lost a lot. And I go out in the roads and, and cycle. And it is my way of getting away from it. And that coupled with a game of golf, then is the only way you can get away with it. But even when I play golf, I'm, I'm still looking at my phone and that's my excuse for my handicap um, at times. But it, it is difficult. I think the more experienced I've got at it, I do think you need downtime. You know, I when there is an international break, I used to go and watch games all the time. I used to go to every international game and go to every championship game in Scotland and, and drive down to England and see games. No, I try not to. I try and have that little window of that weekend and go, no, I'm going to go away. I'm going to take down time. I'm not going to try and be on my phone to the Martin seeing who the next player is. And you come back refreshed because staff get tired, managers get drained. And I, and I really reiterate that to my staff as well. You need a break away from football. And we, you try and come back refreshed all the time. You've had a lot of praise for your staff. Do you have to delegate? You've got to learn to, to not try and oversee every single task at the football club. Yeah, it's difficult. It's not in my nature to delegate. Um, I... I have, I have learned, but I think the, the only way you learn is when you surround yourself with people that you trust impeccably. And it did take a while for me to get to that. And I've got a fantastic staff now. You know, I, I know that when Keith takes a session or, or Mo takes a session or Dermot takes a session or, you know, Andy's doing the warm-up, Ross doing the analysis, whatever it may be, Martin Foyle takes the strikers on occasion. I know it'll be done to the best of their ability and, and what we have is a common theme. And, and contrary to... What everybody thinks that's not the case at every club. Everyone's there's always agendas at football clubs, and I don't think there's any agendas at this football club. Um, everybody wants to progress, but they all do it in the right manner, and they all want to be successful, and they all want to be successful doing it collectively. Uh, you know, and if Keith doesn't do his job or Mo doesn't do his job to the best of their ability, that you know, it doesn't work. Everybody has to be on it at this football club to make it work from the strength and addition to the physios to the chefs, everything, the kit man, everything. And I think that's what we have surrounded ourselves with here. And, you know, they they deserve every bit of praise they get because they're ours and the, the talent that they have, you know, very, very talented boys. And it's hard to keep them because we lose stuff because bigger clubs that pay more money see what we're doing. And and ultimately, they, they sometimes come and take them. So we have to fend them off. Just to finish up, You've achieved a lot in your time at Motherwell. The team are currently sitting within the top six in fourth position. That is the one thing, other than the winning one of those finals, that has perhaps been missing, that, that top six finish. Is that something you're really keen to, to achieve at the football club? Definitely. You know, you said my first and foremost is from, you know, my instruction from the board is make sure you stay up. So first and foremost, our budget, you go, we have to stay in the league. But of course, you know, that's what you tell the press and yourselves. But in our dressing room, we think we have a talented squad. We have a group of boys that are driven. And that is the ultimate aim. Can we get in the top six? If we did, it'd be a fantastic achievement. A fantastic achievement because, you know, we we shouldn't be expected to get in there. Um, 
we'd punched above our weight but ultimately it would be a great achievement for everybody at the football club if we can continue this run of form and, and continue to build on what we've done because I certainly believe we've got the talent to do it you need a little bit of luck you need a bit of luck with injuries you need things to go your way and, and if that continues I don't see any reason why we can't Stephen I'd like to thank you for joining me on the first episode of the longer listen for those that have enjoyed the podcast episode two will be available in a few weeks time but until then thank you and goodbye Brilliant, thank you.